as Daryl was opening us in worship, it struck me how um, resonant our scripture verse for the year is with the lectionary readings. So I'm going to read it again and feel free to follow along in our bulletins with the scripture verse from Romans chapter 8, verses, verse 26. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. The word of the Lord. Let us join together in prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. The psalmist's proclamation that the Lord heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds encapsulates an essential part of God's work of Jesus's ministry. More than any other activity in the gospel accounts of his life, Jesus engaged in healing. In our reading this morning from the first chapter of Mark's gospel, Jesus's work begins by transforming lives through healing. He cures the fever of Simon's mother-in-law, and soon Mark tells us the whole city is at his door, with Jesus spending time well into the evening healing the ill and casting out demons. The Gospels overflow with these stories of healing, giving sight to the blind, ridding people of leprosy, enabling those who cannot use their legs to walk, telling a girl presumed dead to get up and walk, calling forth Lazarus from the tomb. Jesus, the Gospels show us, brings transformative healing. Scripture does not know some dualistic opposition of body and spirit. Jesus's healing involves a transformation of our soul-permeated bodies, what scripture refers to in Greek as sarks or flesh. To our fleshly selves created in God's image, our living, pulsing, weak, and decaying selves, Jesus brings new life. Healing and health are never individual, private matters, but are bound up with politics, with who society excludes and marginalizes. To those rendered unclean by diseases like leprosy, Jesus' healing means being brought back into the society from which they had been shut out. Healing in scripture also involves broader familial, social, and political bodies. The book of Genesis recounts many stories of families torn apart by jealousy, greed, and hatred, from Cain and Abel, to Jacob and Esau, to Joseph and his brothers, with some, but not all, of those families experiencing the healing that reconciliation brings. When the psalmist says that God heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds, that is a statement not only about individuals, but about peoples. Peoples who have endured the pain of exile from their land, 
the destruction of their homes, the tearing apart not only of individual bodies, but social and political bodies as well. The reign to which scripture testifies and the Jesus proclaims and inaugurates is a reign of healing, of families reconciled, exiles returned home, of broken and decaying bodies transformed. All these words are theologically correct things to say. Yet I confess that I often find it exceedingly difficult to cling to faith in this promise of healing in the face of the seemingly intractable reality of chronic and terminal disease, of shattered relationships, of the destruction of war. Death arrives with relatives who have been at odds for years, left unreconciled. Young people have their lives cut short by cancer. People grapple with chronic mental illness that leaves them alone and alienated. And the brokenness of our political and social bodies is all too horribly on display every day. Clinging to the gospel promise of healing has been especially difficult for me over the past four months as war rages in Gaza, a place that our family lived for two years, worshiping regularly at the Catholic and Baptist churches. In my heart, Gaza will always be associated with warmth and joy, but now Gaza has become a place of rampant destruction and death. Each day brings news of Gazans dying under the rubble of their destroyed homes, of children injured by Israeli shelling whose limbs must then be amputated without anesthetic, of people dying of starvation and of diseases like typhoid. What does healing look like in Gaza? How can faith that God heals the brokenhearted and binds up the wounds of the injured be sustained amidst this regime of death? The small Christian community of, in Gaza of around a thousand people has not been spared from this death and destruction. Indeed, the experience of Gaza's Christians is a microcosm of the realities all Gazans presently endure. They have lost their homes and now take refuge at the Catholic and Orthodox churches in Gaza City in the north. Gaza's Christians, like all Gazans, face famine, and struggle daily to find food and water. They have lost loved ones to Israeli bombardment and gunfire. On October 27, an Israeli shell struck the assembly hall of the Orthodox Church, killing 16 members of the community who had taken shelter there. And I've shared before during community life about Ilham Farah, the pianist at the Baptist Church, who was shot in mid-November by an Israeli sniper as she tried to visit her home and then bled to death in the street. And I've shared also about the killing of Nahida Anton and her adult daughter Samar by an Israeli sniper as they walked within the compound of the Catholic Church. On Thursday, just three days ago, news came of another heartbreaking death in the Christian community, that of Hani Abu Daoud, a man just a little younger than me, Several years ago, Hani had an accident that meant he needed ongoing dialysis. 
as he waited for a potential kidney transplant. When hospitals in northern Gaza, where the Christian community lives, stopped functioning because of Israeli attacks, Hani made the difficult decision to leave his wife and their young children to travel to the southern Gaza Strip to receive treatment at a hospital still providing dialysis. There he received irregular treatment, but then eventually those hospitals could no longer offer the care he needed. Hani then sought to return to Gaza City so that he could spend his final days with his wife and his children but he, along with other Gazans from the north, was prevented by the Israeli military from returning to his family sheltering at the Orthodox Church. And he died on Thursday due to complications from his illness. Unable to receive treatment, he died alone, away from his wife and children, buried without a Christian funeral. Where was healing for Hanny? What does healing for the brokenhearted look like for his family? These questions could be multiplied by hundreds of thousands of similar stories from Gaza over the past months. Where my faith in God's healing has been sustained over the past months has come through the enduring, fragile witness of the church in Gaza and how through their liturgy and communal life, the churches in Gaza testify to their hope in a God of peace whose reconciling and healing spirit is greater and more fundamental than drones, warplanes, tanks, and machine guns. The newspaper of the Vatican, L'Osservatore Romane, has run several short reflections by 18-year-old Suheil Abu Daoud over these past months. Suhail, a parishioner at Gaza's Catholic Church, writes simply yet powerfully about how the practices of the church have sustained him and his family. Like most of Gaza's Christians, Suhail no longer has a home to return to. It has been destroyed. He writes, we are in the hands of God. The lasting home that God has left us is the church where we learn the way to heaven. The families sheltering at the Catholic parish where Suhail and his family now live have become more mindful than before of how God has bound them together in a new family. Today, we not only live differently, explains Suhail, our way of thinking and relating to others has also changed. Our life unfolds like that of a single family, about 600 people, a family who lives together in the parish and in these difficult conditions, we must be united and ready to help each other as Jesus helped and served his disciples. The church's sacraments offer healing to Christians in Gaza. In the wake of the Israeli bombardment of the Orthodox Church Hall in October, the community gathered the following week to baptize nine children. Just this past week, the Amash family at the Catholic Church brought forward their son, Jude, for baptism. In the face of death, the churches in Gaza celebrate new life in Christ. In early December, the Catholic community ran out of wafers used for the Eucharist, known, known by us as communion. 
These had previously been brought in from Jerusalem, recognizing that their lives are sustained not only by daily bread, but by the bread of heaven as well. The youth of the community joined the nuns in setting up a system for producing hosts or communion wafers. At Christmas time, the Catholic and Orthodox communities visited one another to offer greetings for their respective Christmas celebrations on December 25 and January 7. While the churches are only a 10-minute walk apart, that distance is now immense, as anyone venturing out from the relative safety of the church compounds enters a war zone. Yet the desire to affirm and celebrate unity in Christ overcame fear. In early January, following the feast of the baptism of Jesus, eight children between the ages of six and ten came forward at the Catholic Church to receive their first communion, receiving and giving thanks for the embodied mystery of God's incarnation within and transformation of broken humanity. Of this moment, 18-year-old Suhail Abu Daoud wrote, incredibly, despite the war, bombs and fighting throughout the Gaza Strip, our last days have been filled with beautiful and meaningful moments. We are truly amazed in the moment we are living in by the grace that has been granted to us. Through the sacraments of the church, Christians in Gaza are finding healing for their broken hearts and are testifying to the power of God's loving and reconciling spirit that has already overthrown death even as the reign of death is all too frighteningly real in their lives. Their Muslim friends and neighbors are sustained by a similar, albeit not identical, faith, a faith that God is greater than all idols that would demand our worship, a faith that proclaims that we are from God, and to God we will return. We will shortly turn in our worship to a service of anointing, one of the church's rituals in which we pray for one another, for each other's broken hearts, broken bodies, broken relationships, broken communities, and receive anointing with oil. Whether your faith in the power of God's healing work is strong or, like mine, fragile and wavering, you are welcome to this time of prayer and anointing. As we pray for one another and receive the gift of anointing, may we proclaim with the psalmist, the Lord heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Amen. Amen. 